What is Phineology? Here we explore our personal relationships with money, money's nature, and how we exchange value in daily life. Grounding ourselves in the liberal arts, we explore Financial Planning 3.0 from the inside out. Addressing money as the most powerful and pervasive secular force on the planet. Mysterious Money Merits Study. What is Phineology? Here we explore our personal relationships with money, money's nature, and how we exchange value in daily life. Grounding ourselves in the liberal arts, we explore Financial Planning 3.0 from the inside out. Addressing money as the most powerful and pervasive secular force on the planet. Mysterious Money Merits Study. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the What is Phineology podcast. This is your host, Jake Wagner. And on this episode of the show, we have Carol Anderson. Carol, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Jake. Yeah, thanks. And, and I'm really glad to have you on the show, too. I'm happy to be here. I'm honored to be your first guest on this topic. Yeah, it was a, it's a big decision. I'm glad it's I'm glad it's you. Um, so the first thing I'd like for you to share with the audience is just a little bit about who you are, about your company and your background. Well, it's a long story, so I'll try to make it uh, concise so you can uh, correct me if I go too far afield here. But mm -hmm. um, my background, my is in early childhood education and uh, family relationships. So I got my bachelor's degree in the late 60s, married, had children, did teach preschool for a while, and then raised a couple of kids. And uh, then in my mid-30s, my, my marriage ended, and that kind of put me into a financial situation that I wasn't at all prepared for. And I realized that in my focus on certain aspects of financial uh, or, excuse me, family life, that I really wasn't prepared for some of the serious financial ramifications of different transitions that uh, I could experience. So I did uh, make the decision to um, make up for that. And I felt a great sense of responsibility for my children. I, I was interested in, uh, in establishing a career that would support me and, and my kids and be of interest to, to me. Uh, and uh, knew that being a preschool teacher would not really provide that economic security that I needed in this part of my life. So unfortunately, yeah. yes. <laughs> so a, uh, I went uh, in my small town in the Puget Sound of Washington. I asked to meet with a good friend of mine who I thought was the wisest person that I knew. And I thought that he could probably guide me and what my next steps should be. And uh, so I kind of laid out, well, this is what my background is. This is what my interests are. Uh, this is what schooling I've had, et cetera, which he knew because we were friends. But I sort of just laid it out in kind of a structured way. And he really recommended that I 
and this is now the mid-80s, he really recommended that I explore the insurance field because he felt that at that time that that area provided the most equal opportunity for women. And he said, um, in fact, I'll give you your first job. And so he had come out of the um, insurance field, but more in the corporate level. But he and his wife had made a, a life decision to kind of leave the corporate world and all the of the moves that that required for a family at that time, back in that era. And uh, so it's also settled in the um, Puget Sound area in a small community and established a um, property and casualty firm. So he gave me a job there, and which was, you know, a great educational opportunity and started sending me to courses and I you know, became licensed. And, uh, you know, other uh, jobs in that area that, you know, I had got experience in life insurance and um, and then eventually ended up in um, Edward D. Jones' office in Paulsbow, Washington as a branch office administrator. And they had a great training program for individuals in that position that gave a very good background in investments. And um, so anyway, I just learned a lot and a lot that I could apply to my own life. But also in the um, working with clients, realized that, you know, I had not, I wasn't the only one that was very ill-prepared to make big financial decisions as an adult, that most people were ill-equipped and illiterate in terms of money. This is one of our 30-second sponsorship slots. Your sponsorship would be featured here in our podcast. For more information, check out our sponsorship packet. So I became very interested in um, financial education, and I, you know, I just saw that as the answer to all our problems and society's ills. And uh, when I had the chance to go back to work on a master's degree, that was my goal: was to be equipped to become kind of a financial literacy evangelist and a financial educator. So I went back to school and the program that I landed in, and this now I'm into my early 40s, was very multidisciplinary. So it really ended up opening my eyes and also um, in, in terms of all the factors that influence financial decisions, it's not just the, you know, the degree of education they have about finances, but that's, you know, the values, their, their family circumstances, their, you know, their stage of life, you know, on and on and on. Every, we all know all of this now, but, you know, it's kind of a big awake, awakening for myself and got introduced to principles of adult education and lots of psychological principles and 
theories in sociology and on and on that just really broaden my perspective of you know, all the factors that influence an individual's financial life. So I'll try to make this short, but um, it it really, it uh, I said it really kind of catapulted me into wanting to learn more about all that influences an individual's financial decisions, but most importantly, what motivated them to take responsibility for this, for their own personal financial well-being, um, because obviously we were not taught about that in, in school or at home, or um, you know, was it even talked about in society at that time? So what you know, what was it that would motivate individuals? So I think I kind of made a shift then to really understanding individuals' motivations and how to to address those motivations. So I think I better stop at that point. <laughs> I could go well, on and on. <laughs> no, I kind of, well, don't go on and on and on and on. But I think that what you're sharing right now is also an excellent example of, you know, part of what we're talking about in this podcast is what is the 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 of financial planning. And the part of what you're sharing is in, is in the interior story. Like we, right. we can feel the journey that's going, that you've, you're going through um, as you, you know, did more of the 1.0 training, as you started to ask the deeper questions and then, you know, how we're getting to where we are today, where we're starting to ask these 3.0 questions. Right. Um, so how about you tell us about money quotient? Okay. Uh, well, so after I did get my master's degree, I did uh, have a, a research and consulting firm and I had a number of projects that sort of focused on a life planning perspective and uh, also some national studies and so forth. And then as I worked on a lot of these projects and developed materials, I began to see application to the financial planning world. And um, so I think whereas like your dad and George Kinder and some of the others you know, they were very much already embedded in like the Financial Planning Association and uh, other organizations uh, that were the precursors of those. Uh, but I came more from this academic environment and also um, through a focus on more holistic approach to retirement planning. And then um, then became then became aware of this um, core group of in financial planners that were also addressing these issues as well. So, in some of the organizations that I started attending and going to their conferences and so forth, there was this overlap as well. You know, I met started meeting some financial planners there, and that was like in the late '90s, early 2000. And so, anyway, then that I had the concept of money quotient and um, decided to launch that in 2001. And then initially, that was uh, with the help of a, a business partner. And uh, a couple of years later, we did uh, dissolve that partnership, and I carried on. And also at that point, 
made kind of a strategic decision that, you know, because I became much more passionate about this work too. And uh, also wanted to include what had been part of my previous work in terms of doing research and writing. I wanted to bring that back into my professional life as well. So that's what motivated me to establish the 501c3 organization um, as a as a real home for the work of Money Quotient. And so what is Money Quotient for the folks who are listening to this podcast that are not already lovers and partners of yours? Well, Money Quotient represents an individual's kind of true wealth, their financial well-being, and it is a um, comprised of two components, you know, their their own EQ, we call it, which is their own awareness around all the factors that influence their financial decisions. And the IQ part is the, the knowledge piece. So, um, and, you know, we kind of felt that financial planners are pretty well equipped to deal with the IQ part, but we saw a real gap in the uh, education of financial planners in dealing with the EQ part. So, our resources and our education is designed to sort of help bridge that gap and um, to also empower financial planners to delve into these areas. And I kind of gets back to this whole question about how we talk about the soft skills uh, as not being soft. You know, it can Mm -hmm. be the hard stuff. And it's kind of an area where financial planners oftentimes feel like they're um, not well equipped, that that's not part of their educational preparation. I I do think in some of the college programs now it's being addressed more, but there um, still seems to be a need to uh, help uh, empower clients to explore these areas. And I believe that the CFP board is actually looking at expanding uh, the knowledge topics into this area a whole bunch more. Right. Yes. So there is definitely a couple of topics that really fit, address this for sure. And and we're able to provide CE for a lot of the programs that we offer. Hmm. So, I mean, there's really the, like, main section where he defines, like, the 1, 2, and 3.0. And there's also places where, like, he definitely was talking about, like, you know, the eras of financial planning. That, you know, everything from that, you know, meeting in Chicago, you know, through, you know, to the present day. And just, you know, looking at at how financial planning as a profession has evolved was definitely, you know, one part part of that one, two and and 3.0 thing. Mm -hmm. But then also it really like, there's a place where we had other parts of the frame. Like we kind of, we talked about it in a couple of different ways. And so, Hmm. So the part that we didn't get on tape here was Carol, can you just pose your question again? Well, I've been uh, searching with what Dick's definitions of all of these are and to try not to put my biases and perceptions 
on him and to be very open to what Dick had to say about all this. And I do find myself uh, struggling to understand his distinction uh, around financial planning 2.0. And um, I've heard some folks say, well, that is financial life planning or what a lot of us have come to believe is this much more client-centered and values-based and approach to financial planning and definitely fiduciary in nature as well, that that was actually 2.0. But as I been reading the book and rereading different sections, I, I almost feel like his version is is based on financial or that 3.0 is based on this what many of us call financial life planning but it's also like challenging us to expand our thinking and our preparation for delivering that type of model this is one of our 30 second sponsorship slots your sponsorship would be featured here in our podcast for more information, check out our sponsorship packet. And then also use some of what, what you were concerned with was just that like, yeah, that there's, you know, is a part of what he ta- he's talking about here, you know, to me, actually we'll get to my definitions later, but, you know, with dad, that, that a lot of it, it was about the, the mechanics that like 1.0 was where, you know, Lauren Dutton in this meeting of folks in the Chicago airport and the, you know, and just this realization that, you know, here are these different financial needs that people have, that they have insurance needs, that they have financial planning needs, that there's, you know, every day people are thinking about investing more. This is the 70s. And so, you know, by by combining all of the six disciplines, it was bringing the ability because there, there was also a lot of crosstalk between those disciplines. And so rather than having to have someone go out and get all of the licenses that they made um, the CFP, mm-hmm. because that way the advisor could address all of the person's needs and then you know, a little while, you know, as we scroll forward into like probably like the, the late 80s, um, early 90s. I don't know if 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 you know better, Carol, but, um, you know, fee only mm-hmm. um, and a different way of charging and really, you know, putting the client's interests first. And then, you know, part of what dad was really great at was, you know, posing questions that really got people to think deeply. Right. And um, and so, you know, there came the 3.0. And, um, and some of it's in this book, but a lot of it's to be discovered. And, and, you know, that's why we're having this podcast and having these conversations. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, I was kind of curious to know, uh, your take on that particular part that it sounds like it's still 
kind of up for definition then and exploration. Yeah. Uh, but that's one of the great things about your dad is that, you know, the posing questions and causing us to think and ponder and explore possibilities and, um, and to, you know, just have a better concept of how important the work of financial planners is and the potential of a, what it could mean in the lives of people and in our society, particularly as it gets becomes more and more complex. Yeah, exactly. And that's the part of where, like, to me, that that 3.0 stuff is beckoning. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, that there there is a greater societal need for us to understand our relationships with money better. And that, you know, just to to read the the back of the book, because I think that it's just, um, you know, put really well. Oh, wait, no, it isn't here. It's in another part of our stuff, but the, it's the financial planner's job to, you know, hold the advisor's hand or, or to hold the client's hand um, as they walk through their financial lives and, and help be a guide. Right. And that there's this professional duty, you know, and to me, a part of that 3.0 is what's our duty to the greater. And, and then also just, you know, reflecting on, you know, there's, better and worse ways to do things, including our collective relationships with money. And so just asking that question about like, what are better ways for us to relate in, in exchange value, you know, value is such a charged word. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's both this thing that we can, you know, put in a piece of paper or onto a chip and move around and there's numbers, but then there's also our, our family values and our personal values. Right. So where are you at on your definitions of the one, two, and three point oh? Well, I'm I am still uh struggling with that, but I do do agree that the the 1.0 was definitely what took place back and I think it was 1969 with Lauren Dutton and was a, you know, a big step forward for sure. And then is that evolved work such as what your dad was doing along with George Kinder, I think was really a big focus and a real entree into this life planning perspective, which, um, but prior to that, I think there was this, and probably because of organizations like Financial Planning Association that really brought together CFPs and challenge thinking and provided a lot of continuing education, that the the role of the financial planner was becoming much more client-centered, and there was much more of an emphasis on doing work that was really in the best interest of the client. And then I do believe that sort of led to this realization that it isn't, you know, it's not just about the math, and it isn't just about being honest. It's about really getting to know and understand the client and what you know, their values, their own personal values, their own frame of reference uh, 
that can really influence how they respond to money, you know, their behaviors around money, how they feel about money, how they feel about their lives. And that's going to influence their behaviors around money. But the tricky part about that is that oftentimes that frame of reference is in the subconscious. And it really has a very strong influence on clients, you know, how they relate to money, but they are not maybe aware of that until someone helps them to become aware of it. And so I think that's kind of the role of what life planners has brought to this conversation are different ways of navigating that conversation to increase an individual's awareness about what what really is important to them, how they they do feel about money, um, what in their background is really influencing how they respond to money and what what their hopes and their dreams and their fears are, you know, just helping them to get more in touch with it so that, you know, that all of that is is really so much more important than what the actual numbers are in terms mm-hmm. of what um, really influences an individual's um, sense of comfort around money, their what they view as possible for them, um, the you know, and how they um, make decisions, and that they the decisions they make, you know, really are in their own best interests. Yeah, for me, it's in some ways, it's also it's a perspective shift, yes. where like with the one it's here. Let's maximize the bottom line, you know, and that's one way to have the equations go. But then when we get into the life planning world, it's let's let's balance these equations and let's have the uh, the bottom line be the personal, the best life that we can make for our clients. And rather than having it be all about money, it's it's the discussion is about what is the life that you want to have. OK, so we're going to work your financial resources and leverage what you've got and have a good strategy and play for the long term. And, and we're going to make that life for you. And, um, and that that's the role of the advisor is to just to help, help their clients realize the life of their dreams. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I, I think that your dad makes a a good point that, um, you know, that this is what requires and what we typically have called soft skills to be able to navigate those conversations, but he definitely hated that term soft skills for sure, because it, to have the, you know, even the guts, I think, to ask these questions of clients and to um, care enough about them to know what's going on inside of them is, um, Really, you know, it's not soft at all. It's, yeah, it's really well. That's that's what the t- the title and the uh, the chapter is in the book is. Uh, no, there's nothing soft about it. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, yeah, I think that's the uh, that's the case right there. And it, I don't think that it was he didn't like the term soft skills. I think that he f- probably just didn't want people having the misconception that that meant it was easy. Right. Something. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. This is one of our 30-second sponsorship slots. Your sponsorship would be featured here in our podcast. For more information, 
check out our sponsorship packet. So does this life planning, does life planning fit into 2.0 do, or do we think that, you know, is it, is there more to 2.0 than just the life planning? You know, is that a part of, of what you're seeing? Well, that's, I guess, a question that I was really struggling with. And I think the more that I kind of read financial planning 3.0 and try to gain a accurate picture of what your dad's perspective was on this. I, I do tend to feel that, that his concept of financial planning 3.0 did include life planning, but at a very um, committed level, let's put it that way, that it's not, that it wouldn't be something that was, just a front piece in the beginning of a client relationship, but uh, you know, really permeated the whole the whole lifespan of the client. You know, um, and that you would be walking with them through all the uh, ups and downs of life, all the the many life transitions, helping them to get in touch with fears and concerns and spiritual needs and on and on and on, not as a therapist, but just as a, um, a very well-informed guide, a very caring professional, and also realizing that all these aspects really influence how that individual relates to money. So mm-hmm. I, I think that he would say that, that this is a, you know, a really good foundation for um, financial planning 3.0, but it's sort of like the foundation. And then there's so much more to learn and explore. Yeah, there is. There is. And, and you know, and to me, like one part of this is like, let's, let's, keep on exploring the area and just, you know, what is financial 2.0? Because, you know, we do need this to be that solid foundation to get to the 3.0. Um, just to, to allude to it for folks, just for a moment, though, you know, 3.0 is about our societal relationships. You know, it's like, it, it's how do we take it up the next notch is a part of what dad was trying right. to say. That's what he was saying. And so what what does that contain? You know, and for me, you know, it's the there's better and way worse ways for us to to share our time with each other and to build society. And the you know, and so many people have these poor relationships with money and the this vilification of it. And um, and that there are, you know, one of the things Dad said is that there's more good done in the name of money every single day than charity work could ever do. Mm-hmm. And just the, you know, that we go and that we do our work and the, you know, with proper reciprocity, you know, we money comes into our life because of the work that we're doing. And, um, you know, 
as a society, we can choose to have a healthier relationship with money too. That it's it's important to address it with ourselves and with our clients. And this has got to start, you know, one life at a time and each one of us addressing these questions personally and um, and having that dark night of the soul. But we do need to also make sure to, you know, embrace the big picture and we can't have it just be about, you know, our little, our little bubble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would agree because what's going on in the world also very much influences the individual. You know, it's just um, an interplay that constantly goes back and forth. And I think a big point that your dad was making too, that it's, it's evolving so quickly that there's a lot that we have to to prepare ourselves to address the complexities of our society and how they do influence our individual clients on a personal and family level. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one example that I've, I've thought of that I think is effective is the difference between, you know, us here in Portland, um, folks, if you're sure you're listening from elsewhere, and um, Carol and I are both in Portland, Oregon, which is this wonderful, delightful little city with all of these little independent shops, small businesses, which, uh, you know, with fair trade, uh, you know, ingredients and, and um, you know, wonderful service to the community and it's beautiful. And, um, but then there's also places I've lived that where we're out in the suburbs and, you know, if folks are going and, and they're working for a, a fortune 500 company. And so their money's coming from n- not their community and, um, and the way they're earning money might be, you know, global. And then the, all they can when they go out to shop that there's, you know, Walmart and other, you know, big box stores. And so when they go in there, spend their money, it goes right back into those same fortune 500 companies. And, um, and there's a lot of ways in which it seems like what's going on is that the productivity from small town America is getting siphoned off into New York where those bigger salaries are um, and where the bigger picture of that corporate game just lives. And, um, you know, and personally, like I try to, you know, buy local shop independent businesses, you know, the closer I can be to the source of my food, the better because the, you know, the petroleum impact and just trying to think about that. And just looking at the disparity between those two different situations is uh, an example of different uh, 3.0 realities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I think Embedded in that as well is that is is a, a way, you know, the questions that we ask so that we really can get in touch with the client's perception on all of that. And then to see, help them to evaluate how they are operating in their wherever they are, it's not in Portland, Oregon, it's in New York City, Um, how the climate within which they live and operate, how that influences the decisions they make or the decisions perhaps they feel that they should be making and to allow them the freedom to explore that 
and also the freedom to evaluate. And if they feel that there are changes they want to make in their relationship with money and their relationship to the you know, society because of the decisions that they make about their money, what will those be? And, you know, and how can the financial planner support them in making those kinds of changes that will ultimately, hopefully, you know. Um, Result in the bigger picture change. Right. But, you know, more, more peace, more, um, mm. more of a sense of connection to their money, more of a sense of purpose about how their money is used in their lives, the flow in and inflows and outflows of their personal resources and how that's expressed. And if it feels, mm -hmm. you know, if it feels in alignment with who they are and, and what's important to them. Yeah. I like to think about it like a breath and, you know, a consistent in inhale of good income that's fresh air too. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, you know, exhaling, you know, where, where you feel like you're, you're not, it's easy to waste money. It's real easy. And, um, you know, having it go to what you actually care about is a, it's a big deal. And it, um, you know, it does, your money is your vote. And um, that's how we're going to, you know, grow as, as a society. What we choose to spend money on is what's going to, you know, be what grows. And um, that's part of why we need to ask those questions. Right. So one of the things that I think is where dad is talking about the bigger picture of financial planning 2.0 more than life planning is is also the fiduciary calling right you know that there are these you know there even if someone isn't a life planner or a holistic planner um comprehensive you know because there there is additional you know liability work you know it limits the amount of clients that you can have just because of the amount of hours of the day you know, other folks want to be fiduciaries too. And, um, and there's, it's, it's a different way of doing it. And, um, you know, what do you think those folks should know as they're working with their clients? Those that are, are you referring to those that are currently embracing the more financial uh, yeah. 2.0 model? Well, or even just like the folks who, you know, okay, the fiduciary ruling is still in limbo. Um, maybe that, yeah. But, uh, um, you know, all of these folks who were about to have to obey the fiduciary standard um, and considered it, you know, as a result of that, but, um, you know, still they're a fee-based or a commission, you know, based way of earning. And that's just, um, you know, but still, I, I know fee-based folks who are also life planners, you know, like we're, you know, what, what do you think some of those folks who, you know, if you have a hundred to 300 relationships, what are some ways that might be able that might help them, you know, connect more deeply when they are talking with clients and possibly make that change? Well, you know, I definitely think ongoing communication with clients is important and not just when there is something, some kind of change that needs to be made in their portfolio. And that's that. And I think that is part of being a fiduciary is keeping very much in touch with the, the client's um, needs and expectations and 
transitions in their lives that um, require, uh, you know, a financial response. So it's, I think it's this much more holistic way of viewing a client and being in touch with um, all the transitions that they go through. But it's also in touch with how their own perceptions change. You know, if they've had a friend that's experienced a loss of a loved one or uh, some other kind of difficult life transition, and they, you know, all of a sudden become aware of the implications in, you know, that could be in their own lives as well. Uh, If you're not in touch with your clients, you're not going to be aware of how their thinking has changed and how their uh, concerns have changed. Uh, And there very well be many steps that the the financial advisor could uh, take to help, you know, alleviate these concerns, um, help them to prepare for whatever transition they're anticipating. Mm -hmm. Especially when it's been, you know, a pretty long bull market, you know, it's been, market's been going up steadily for a while. And, you know, I mean, admittedly in the long run, it'll always go up, but you know, it's going to go down somewhere in here. Mm -hmm. And uh, you don't want to just, you know, you don't, the phone doesn't ring when the market's doing well, it rings when the market's doing poorly. And, um, you know, maybe, you know, just helping folks, uh, you know, make sure to have those corrective measures through regular check-ins and intervals. Right. And it's, you know, it's so much more than just checking on how they're feeling about the market. It's definitely checking um, on what's going on in their in their lives. And, you know, mm-hmm. what, are, what are they thinking about? And uh, what experiences have they had that's uh, really gotten their attention? And this kind of gets us back to this, conversation around the interior qualities and how he there's a whole chapter in financial planning 3.0 about there's nothing soft about it and how we talk about the kinds of uh, skills that you know a more life planning approach to financial planning requires soft skills but you know his view that you know they're not soft at all. And uh, to be able to address these more interior qualities of a client's life is really important and takes a lot. So even if you are still kind of operating in the financial planning 2.0 world, which is important for sure, there you know, definitely is a way to make sure that you are serving your clients' best interests so that um, by knowing what's going on in their lives, what's going on with their families' lives, what's going on in their thinking. Um, so there's this one section that I actually mark that I think really relates well to this. And he talks, I'm just going to read it if it's okay with you. Oh, please. It's talking about um, the stakes. Um, Money's interior qualities require us to deal with such notable softballs as death, illness, life purpose, critical choices, success, failure, primal fears, our relationships with God and living the spiritual, moral, ethical life, nightmares, vital personal relationships, parenting our children, caretaking of our elders, one's own aging processes 
personal and social taboos, resource distribution, fundamental notions of fairness and how we play with each other, concepts of ethics and morality, politics and political systems, law abuses of various forms, including sexual self-esteem, literal survival. So, I mean, that's just, you know, a small, that's a, a long list, but a small list in regard to all the things that really, you know, really influence an individual's concepts about money and and that are related to how they use their financial resources. So all, all the way much, back to their to their literal survival. Correct. Wow. Yeah. So uh, that that means being in tune, boy. You know, it's being able to ask the the right questions so that you know what issues they are grappling with, and they come to us with really preconceived notions notions about what financial planners want to know about them. And so they're just going to rotely spit that out unless, you know, there's a way to do that qualitative qualitative data gathering in a conversational way or through the use of, of tools that brings, that helps them to reflect and they become more aware of what's going on inside of them themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's some great tools out there, um, yours included. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and um, and each one, and it's amazing what some of the different tools and efficiencies that there are out there. But um, you know, something that I really, uh, something you shared with me earlier, and I appreciate. You know, you know, you say you said to take caution because the, you know, when, when folks are filling out these forms that like the real information that you're hoping for folks to get from your questionnaires and from all your money quotient partners is it's about body language. It's about, you know, maybe it's about lip biting. It's maybe it's about just like seeing the confusion on their face as they try to figure it out and do and don't and then do. And you don't get that uh, if it's an online questionnaire. Right. And um, and just that that is important. You know, as a digital marketer, I love to try to, like, figure out how to, like, make things better with the technology. But it's also important to remember just the relevance of that human touch. There's a, a lot of science, too, behind the importance of uh, writing out responses in longhand as well. And there's, there's, you know, kind of some kinesthetic, how's that word again? Kinesthetic magic in terms of a person reflecting on a question and then formulating a response in their minds and then writing it out. And then the next step is if they actually share that response by, you know, speaking. So in terms of a relationship with a financial planner, then, you know, when they share these responses with you, it's like they hear them say, say things that they didn't even know they knew or knew they cared about or connections, make connections they, until they started to say it, didn't even realize existed. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, this 
the use of questions is um, so important and so magical. And particularly if they're, you know, if the intention around using the questions isn't to lead the clients in any particular way, other than increasing their own self-awareness. You know, I mean, it's a real gift to give a client is this opportunity to learn more about themselves. Can you share a little bit about some of the research, you know, specifically on you're talking about, you know, the process of doing long-handed and longer answer. Can you tell us more about that? Well, I think that um, in the kind of in the coaching world, they have, they've learned that quite a bit as well. And gosh, I was kind of introduced to this way back when my background was actually a a preschool teacher. And uh, for a while, I worked in a preschool that was pretty progressive in terms of incorporating, you know, a really excellent uh, reading methodology, uh, very in the early early grades, you know, like it was mm-hmm. introducing it to preschoolers at three years old. And it was called the Writing Road to Reading. And so they would teach the sounds of the letters. Um, so like with an A, you know, it has like five different sounds. And so they would t- teach, you know, as they showed the kids the A, then they would speak all the th- the five sounds that it would make, and then they would also form the letter and write it. And it just really, these pathways to the brain were just really, um, it's the word I want, cemented, you know. And then uh, as they would to actually learn how to put that then into the next step of actually reading words, they used actual children's literature. You know, they didn't use, you know, little workbooks or whatever. They actually used children's literature that really engaged the the little kids, you know, because the stories were interesting. And they could quickly, because of all this practice they had about the sounds and and putting them together to make words, they quickly learned how to read. And um, so that was one of the times that this whole, you know, connection between all the senses, how it really supports how we learn and how we perceive. and, And then just other things that I've learned over the years has just really, you know, emphasized that to me. And help to um, help me to become even more passionate about about the importance of that, the personal experience, um, and how it becomes a very, very much more of an, an inner experience that really supports the learning and the self awareness. Hmm. Um, there's, you know, also one of the um, theories that. I've become quite enamored with, and it's actually an outgrowth of the in the positive psychology field is self-determination theory and the importance of understanding a client's values based on whether you can categorize them as extrinsic values or intrinsic values. The extrinsic values being more kind of outward, like um, increasing wealth or increasing fame. And then the intrinsic values are the ones about 
you know, uh, personal growth or creativity or helping others, these types of things. And that individuals that that set goals based on either, uh, well, if they set goals based on more of an intrinsic value framework, and then they pursue those goals and, and actually succeed, their level of life satisfaction and sense of well-being does not necessarily become become greater or become elevated, grow in any way. In fact, oftentimes with the pursuit of those goals, there is a, a greater sense of um, there's more symptoms of depressive disorders and so forth. But those that have that choose life goals based on more of the intrinsic values, then they, you know, as they pursue those goals and achieve them, their sense of life satisfaction and ha- happiness grows. So I think a, a big goal of, of our process, and I, I think a lot of people involved in a financial life planning perspective, is for, to help clients get more in touch with what are your true values. And, you know, for many people, it really is based that those true values are of a more intrinsic nature, but they've sort of lost touch with that and how they can really, you know, base their their lives on their intrinsic values and then use their resources in such a way as to support and expre- express those intrinsic values. And, you know, that's that's where I think the real peace and happiness can come uh, and really the, the desire to really do good in the world. So is it a happy quotient? <laughs> it could be, it could be. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's not to say life is just all roses for sure. You know, I think a lot mm-hmm. of those things in that, that list that I just read were about, there's a lot of challenges in life, to, you know, that have to be addressed. And again, that's where this, more financial professional that's really dedicated to their clients, you know, they're really willing to go through those rough periods alongside of their client and help them to, to make those um, necessary life transitions and to make them, make them as successful as possible, even under the more difficult situations. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and successful clients make our lead to a successful advisor, right? Right. I yeah. can I believe yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. And I think that also, you know, it's obviously true in an AUM model. Um, but I think it's true for the other ways of, of charging doing business. I do too. too. I do too. Yeah. I think it's all a matter of intention in the in the advisor's heart in their own frame of reference. And, you know, I, I think there are definitely uh, fee models or compensation models that better support and better communicate, you know, the fiduciary standard. But I think, you know, an advisor can operate under any type of uh, fee structure and, and really be a wonderful 3.0 planner. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, me too. 
and um, and and frankly, the world's counting on it. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, we made it yeah. Sure. We made it yeah. for sure. Dad always mm-hmm. always said that financial planning is uh, the most important profession in the 21st century. And I, I totally agree with that. And it's getting more important all the time. And I think that's the part, you know, we are those that have really embraced and implemented, you know, sort of a financial life planning process and perspective to their practices. And it's, you know, it's uh, it becomes a part of the the whole client relationship, like I said, not just a front piece. They, you know, they've just brought the whole financial planning profession leaps and bounds. But there's, you know, there's so many more challenges ahead that that the planners need to prepare for and understand that I think this this larger 3.0 perspective will really help to prepare us for those challenges. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's why this is such important work and, and so important for us to consider, have these conversations and, and also for the audience to listen to. Um, so thank you folks for listening to this episode. Carol, do you think we have more to share with the audience or, uh, you know, this is right about a good length for um, what we were hoping I, for. Yeah, I, I feels good to me. So okay. if, I, if you're good, I'm good. Well, folks, I hope you are too. Um, and I hope that you enjoyed this conversation and, um, and welcome to the, the first episode of the What is Phenology podcast. On this episode of the show, we've had Carol Anderson from Money Quotient, myself, Dick Wagner from, a, well, in this case, Worth Living, uh, Dick Wagner's firm. And um, with that, we'll see you on the next episode of What is Phenology. Thanks all.